0: The following message is distributed by the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. I'd
1: like to start uh, reading from Psalm 34. It's a short passage to kind of set our mind. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praises shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name forever. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fear. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. The angels of the Lord encamped around those who fear him and delivered them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lion suffers want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, I just again thank You for this chance that we have to come here to read Your Word and to come before You. Lord, I pray that today as I share the message that You've laid on my heart, Lord, that You will empty me of pride or fear. That Your Spirit will speak in my heart the words that You want me to speak to the body here. but I pray that if, if we are challenged or feel condemned by anything that Your Scripture says, that we won't pass it off, ignore it, or try to manipulate it to meet our needs, but that instead, Lord, we will come to You seeking grace to change so that we will be in line with Your Word. Lord, please just be with us this day. Help us to have hearts ready and waiting on You. I pray these things in Your Son's name. Amen. For those of you who don't know me, thanks. Sweet. Um, I'm Kurt. I am one of the pastors here. Uh, Pastor Steve is on vacation. So if you are visiting us, please keep coming back. Um, He'll be back shortly. Uh, He's taking uh, a break and and spending some time with with friends and family. Um, The last time I had the opportunity to speak, uh, we were working through the book of Colossians, and and we finished that book. And a couple uh, weeks back, Steve was saying, hey, I'm getting ready to leave. You're going to preach some for me? What do you want to preach on? And uh, through prayer and some discussion, there was a book that, that God laid on my heart probably a couple months back. And it's one that my family and I actually just finished for our own uh, family devotional time. And it's uh, the book of Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. And uh, these two short letters have so much packed in them that can really challenge us, especially as, as we, we look to the future. And what that should impact us to behave and to act and to model right now in the presence. So uh, if you want to get ready, you can flip over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Before we get to that, I want to share a little bit of history about this book and kind of Thessalonians and the the people who lived there in Thessalonica. And um, it's kind of helpful to kind of know why Paul and the other missionaries wrote this book. Uh, Paul's um, visit to this city in Macedonia was not part of his original journey, itinerary. I don't know if he wrote out an itinerary. If you know anything about Paul, it seems like whatever he thought he was going to do always got thrown out the window because God ended up leading him somewhere else. But originally he's in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey in that region, and uh, he's ministering there, and he has a dream one night of a Macedonian man calling for them to come and help. So, Paul, being Paul, gets up the next morning, packs things up, and they head over to Macedonia. And the first city that they, they really come upon is, is the city of Philippi, which uh, he meets actually some women who are having a prayer meeting, and so a church begins. Things don't go super smooth for him. Him and the others that are serving with him get arrested. They're accused of nothing, really. They're found guilty of absolutely nothing, but are still beaten and thrown in jail. God works in that situation some amazing things. They're released of jail. They leave that city, continue on this major route, that the Romans actually built so that they can get their armies faster east. He's taking that same route, heading towards Rome, and stops at the next city, Thessalonica. Goes in there and does his usual thing. He walks into the synagogue. They're reading the Scriptures, the Torah. He sits down and starts teaching Jesus from the Torah. So those of you who might have doubts about where Jesus shows up in the Old Testament... That was Paul's text. He walks in there and he's teaching Christ from the Torah. And the Jews don't like what he's teaching. But in the synagogue, there are God-fearing Greeks. right? Greek people who have long ago put aside their idol worship or, or, or their own self-worship, have joined the synagogue, see God as the one true God, Hear Paul teaching and join the church. And not only that, now you have other Greeks around the city joining. So this church is predominantly made up of Gentiles. The Jews aren't big fans of this. Their membership in the synagogue has dropped. So they gather some of the, 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 the troublemakers from the city and incite them to riot against Paul and the missionaries and this new movement that Paul is teaching on. So out of fear, some of the other believers in the church there encourage Paul to leave before anything happens to him. So Paul leaves, but he didn't want to. He leaves because he wants to keep the church safe and he knows if they stay there, some other bad things might happen. But he also knows that if he leaves right now, he didn't get that much time to spend with them. He really only got to lay down the basic foundations of the faith. He also knows that even though he leaves and maybe some of the major trouble might die down, the church there is going to face persecution. They're going to face ridicule. But he leaves and he starts heading south to the town of Berea. But he does the same thing again. He goes back into the synagogue and he starts teaching Christ from the truth there that that, that God has laid down from the beginning of His Word. But this time there's a difference. The people there hear him. They test what he's saying and they believe. Not just the Greeks, but the Jews there. Now, the message gets back to the Jewish people in Thessalonica about what Paul is doing. So they go down to Berea and stir up trouble for Paul again. So Paul again leaves the city, continues his journey south to Athens, spends some time in Athens, then eventually goes back to Corinth. And it's in Corinth where most people believe that Paul wrote these letters to this young church. There's some interesting things we will touch on a little bit as we go through this book. But as Paul's journeying back to Corinth, he's hearing about what's happening in this church. And when he gets back to Corinth, Silas and Timothy, who's actually at this church, come back and meet back up with him and share some information about what's happening there. So after hearing all these things, Paul sends these letters to this church. Let's start chapter 1. Paul, Silvanus, or also known as Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that He has chosen you. Let's pray. Lord, again I come before you after reading this scripture, these Few short verses have so much for us, Lord. Help us to hear and be challenged by them, Lord. Help us to look to the Thessalonians as a model for us. I pray these things in Your name, Amen. Our focus is these four simple verses, but but I'm going to look spend most of my time looking at verses two and three, in particular, verse three. And as you, as you read through these verses. We get to what's known as uh, the triad of graces. You know what that is? Love, faith, and hope. They're the quintessential foundations to our Christian faith. These graces function in, in kind of like a circular way where one strengthens another and so grows another and then so forth and so on they don't work independent of each other you can't have amazing love of god without having faith in him you can't have hope that shows nothing in your actions and because of the way that these graces were manifesting themselves the authors of the, of this of this book are able to say in verse 4 and 5 that god has chosen you because the gospel came to you in word and in power. The only way that these graces could be explained in the manner that they were being shown in this young church was God working through the people here. And, and of these triads of grace, the, the one that is the focus in this epistle, the one that's kind of raised up, elevated above the other ones, is hope. Kind of how like if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love is the one that's elevated there. And a lot of that has to do with this epistle's view of focusing to the end, to the end, when this is all over, when Jesus returns. And and it's kind of funny because I, I tend to end up with the passages when I'm preaching on hope seems to be the common theme of them. And it's, it's, it's a great reminder for me because uh, I don't know if you struggle with this, but I tend to forget what I'm hoping in or what I should even be hoping for. So I love having this reminder because I myself am not like the Thessalonians very often. I tend to not have a steadfast hope in the Lord Jesus. Maybe you're like me. We, we we put it in things that look really good, but as soon as we get a hold of them, we realize how foolish they are. Because God, our Creator, our Sustainer, God who is so awesome and holy that, that the Hebrew people believe that if, if you were to, to say His name or even write His name, you would defame it. You wouldn't do it justice. And we... We don't pick this God as our hope. We, 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 we choose something else. Because we tend to forget that God wants what's best for us. And our endurance, our steadfastness fades away when our hope fades as well. So I want you to think about this. Take a minute and think, what do you put your hope in? Where do you go for endurance? And don't say God right away because you're probably lying. At least not in all situations. God's not your first hope. But I want you to think about that, all right? And and sometimes when I think of endurance, I think of Olympians or or athletes or, or or anybody who's trying to obtain this like elite status. The endurance that they need, not only for their sport but for their life. I, Most Olympians start when they're really young, and what are they striving for? A piece of metal that hangs around their neck. And they endure so much. I mean, it costs hundreds of thousands of dollars to be an Olympian. I looked it up. The cheapest sport to be an Olympic uh, Olympian is curling. All right. So uh, if you're a big fan of curling, or you want a child to be an Olympian, go that route. Least amount of training, least amount of money. All right? But still, there's a cost there. There's anywhere from three to nine hours spent training in a day. Oftentimes, parents drive kids hours each way so they can train with a coach. Let alone the cost of mortgaging a house so that you can afford that. Or the strain of travel, or if you have other kids, you need to find babysitters for them. And this, the whole family ends up enduring all this stuff so that one kid has a chance of getting a medal, let alone a gold one. And then, even once they get this gold medal, what then? Great. You know, like, like we were saying, the, the Olympics. I mean, we're just praising these people for getting these medals. Four years from now, if they're not contending anymore, competing, no one remembers who they are. I mean, unless you get like eight gold medals, then people will constantly say, well, when's the next guy going to get eight? All right? But if you get one, who cares? I mean, honestly. And if you're second place, no one will ever remember you. They do this all for this hope, which a lot of times they never even get to. Which kind of brings me to the first point that I have false hope is no hope at all. What keeps you going? what keeps you going on the path of obedience to God what keeps you going in your relationships what keeps you going at that job what keeps you going in your ministry that you're serving in because we 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 all know that when we do things struggles come like eventually your relationships going to have this this conflict all right? If if you're new to relationships, wait, it's coming. Alright? It's all great and sunshine now, but you know, wait a year or so and bam, struggle. Alright? Or work and your boss is is, is is piling more and more and more work on you because of something else that's happening. And you're trudging along through it, but eventually you hit that spot where you can't go any further. Where do you go? Where do you go for your hope? Where do you go for your endurance? Often we hope in things that are just foolishness. You people who, you students, a lot of my students, I had a bunch of seniors this year graduate and they're going to college. If your hope is in a great job, two things. One, I'm sorry. Second is, you obviously haven't listened to anything I've been teaching you. But if your hope is in this great career, or maybe it's, it's, it's growing a fat 401k for retirement, or it's a nice home, or a sweet car, or a person, if only you can just find that right person. It, your, your hope is hollow. It's shallow. It's got nothing My daughter, it's like my daughter made me this gift when I was gone. It was a bakery made out of paper. But I had to hold it gently. And that's just like the hope that we get. It's like, wow, this looks really great. A bakery. I love cookies. Oh, wait, it's paper. There's nothing in it. There's nothing there. Once you grab a hold of it, you realize that it never quite meets that internal need or that desire that you have or, or 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 maybe you're an apple fan which i am i love mac stuff yes new thing awesome completion oh wait the new one's coming out yes oh wait this one's faster this one's got a camera in it whatever the case is that's that that's what false hope does. Because even once you obtain whatever this hope promises to give you, you realize it, it really isn't promising much at all. Because that need is still there. Or maybe you're not going after physical things or, or, or gold medals or a sweet car or whatever the case is, but you're, you're, what you really desire is limelight. You want the attention of people. You're hoping for the praise and the honor of man. The only problem with that is what you're doing right now isn't popular anymore. And all the attention's over here now. Or maybe the job that you have doesn't get the recognition that you think it deserves. So you start looking for some other kind of career pursuits. Or maybe you're past all these foolish, dumb, idiotic hopes. And, and you are hoping in Jesus. Except the only problem is that Jesus never really does anything for you. He never is producing the things that you want. Because you see, the Jesus that you're trusting isn't a real Jesus. It's a false Jesus from a false gospel. You see, I, I know people who live this life where Jesus is like this magic genie thing. That if I say this, or if I do this, or if I act this way, poof, all my selfish desires will be met by Jesus. They, they, they seem to forget that God's highest priority, not even His highest, God's only priority is His glory. His glory, not our glory. When our hope fades, so does our steadfastness. Our endurance is so connected to what we hope in. If your hope is small, your endurance is small. And when our hope fades, our endurance fades, and we begin to ask, what's the point? Why do it? Why try? Nothing works. That was my goal. This job, I got there, and, and this boss is worse than my old boss. It's taking more time from my family. We all know that false hope. Like if we sat here and, and we were really to think about what we're striving after, what our hope, our goals are, we, if we took the time, a lot of us would realize that, that it's false and it's not there. And we might even ask ourselves, why do I keep doing that? Why do we keep going for that? It kind of, it, 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 we keep tricking ourselves into thinking that that the momentary ecstasy, peace, joy that we get to grasp for just a few seconds is worth it. Until we do it again and realize, man, those few seconds just didn't didn't do it for me. I, I think of. Um... Bear with me. This does have a connection. I have an older sister. Her name is Dana. And as as far back as I can remember, anytime we had steak or any sort of red meat, the thing needed to be killed like seven times over. Like it, 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 it had to be cooked until it was nothing. All right? You get like a 16-ounce steak, throw it on the grill. Dana's ready when it's three ounces. You know, it's like, pshh. And... Uh, She was with one of her best friends, and they went to her friend's family for for a party and a celebration. And um, they're all sitting down to eat at this table, and uh, her friend's dad comes out with this, you know, tray of steaks. And she's looking at it, and she's like, that's looking like it's not well done enough for me and, and everybody's stabbing at it and putting it on their plates and they start cutting away at it and and she wants to have her manners and, and and be polite and so she starts to cut it and then you know as she's cutting it like the goodness that's what i call it the goodness starts coming out all right and 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 she she puts it on her fork and she puts it into her mouth and to her shock she didn't gag But the even more alarming situation arose was, this is good. This is really good. It tastes like something. So she comes, she comes over and she's telling us the story and she's telling me, Kurt, I liked it. Like the way you eat yours, I ate it and it was good. But the next time we had steak, she told me to keep it on the grill longer. The next time we were at a restaurant with her, you know, I'm like medium rare. They're like, she's like, no, kill the thing. And I, and I always think, like, what happened? You tasted the good stuff, and you kept going back to your old ways. And, and, and that's that's just how we are. Some of you guys have had a chance to get this this glimmer of what it's like to have Christ as the center of your life, but you go back to your old ways. You know, I, I think of the, the, the psalm there. It says, "Taste and see, taste and see that the Lord is good." It's not like like you're like when you were a kid and you took a little nibble off the corner of the crust of the sandwich. You're like, "Oh, that's terrible!" And I'm, I have kids, so we deal with this on a daily basis. Like, you don't even know it's terrible. You've only tasted the crust. Bite it. Get it all in. Because once you have it all in, you can say, look, that, that is good stuff. But it, it's, it's, it's just easy for us to take a piece. There's no halfway in the Christian faith. You can't just eat the good steak when you're with your good friends. You can't only take a piece of Christ and then in every other situation in your life, you just say, it's all good, God, I got this. Don't worry about it. We all hope in something. It's, it's just part of who we are. As a human being, you put your hope in something, and the world pushes so many things on you, saying, hope in this, hope in this, hope in this, hope in this. Have you ever noticed that? Maybe in a couple of years when another presidential candidate comes around. That's the candidates. Am I supposed to hope in you? Am I supposed to hope in you? Am I supposed to hope in this? Am I supposed to hope... Isn't it kind of funny that the things we're supposed to hope in contradict each other half the time? I'm supposed to hope in this and that, but they don't fit. Hope will always fade because there's only one thing that's everlasting. That's the second point here. If our endurance, our steadfastness is based on our hope and our hope will fade because there's only one thing everlasting and we constantly put our hope in something else, Christ Jesus is the only true, true everlasting hope. Christ Jesus is our only true everlasting hope. And think about that. That's a good thing. Because what does God require from you in ministry, in marriage, in in the sickness. I, Frank was up here praying. There's people here who are constantly struggling with the sickness. Or maybe you have a, a disability. What does Christ hope or want from you in those situations? He wants steadfastness. and He doesn't want you to just put it all on yourself and say, all right, I know God wants me to be steadfast in this, so I'm going to work harder and harder every day to be steadfast. Because that's, that's, that's not the steadfastness that the Thessalonians showed. Their endurance, their steadfastness came from their hope. If your hope is everlasting, then your steadfastness will be everlasting. I think about this. Uh, we'll get into some of it further on as we get into this book. But but the joy that the Thessalonians experienced when, when Paul and Silas and Timothy first showed up didn't wane, didn't didn't disappear when Paul left. Why? Their, their, their joy, their 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 hearing of the gospel, their willingness to share it didn't decrease when they faced persecution. How? How? goes on even further and we'll get to that in a couple weeks but their young basic faith was so rooted in Christ so strong to face any kind of persecution it met that they were sharing it with everyone that they met so much so that it wasn't just Timothy's report to Paul, "Hey, things are going well in Thessalonica." Paul saying, "Everywhere I go, people are talking about how you guys are living. How? Why does that happen to them and not to us here?" It's very rare when I'm like talking to my neighbors, or or you know I'm. I'm filling out something, talking to someone at a restaurant or something like that, and they ask me what I do. And they say, well, I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm one of the pastors at a church. Uh, Salt Lake evie Free, ever hear of it? And they're like, no. It's like, it's a good church. Come check it out sometime. But it wasn't even just that. I mean, like, their hope was so steadfast in Christ, the way they lived was so dependent on him that people were amazed at it that by the time Paul gets to Corinth, right, that's like miles away back in that time. And there was no internet and cell phones and things like that. Like, that'd be like me visiting my family in South Carolina where my parents are and people say, I heard about your church in Salt Lake City. Man, you guys are doing some amazing things there. Why was that happening there? Because of their hope. Cracking my voice there. Their hope was the key. Their hope was the key. Their hope. That's all I talk about. I was just on a missions trip to LA and, and, and I'm sitting in a van on the block of Skid Row and the kids are talking about how we need to bring hope to these, these homeless, these drug-addicted people. And I'm like, what kind of hope are you going to bring? Because if it's a bag sandwich, that's not that much hope. And we talked about hope. Hope. Hope is the key. Their endurance wasn't rooted in some false hope, but in their relationship with Jesus Christ. This church was steadfast because they knew that God would not only say He was going to do great things for them, but was willing to do them. It wasn't a hope disconnected like, hey, I hope in this great thing in the future, maybe someday I'll get to experience it. They knew it was true hope. They looked around. There was pagan idol worshipers worshiping God now. There were people whose faith, maybe just weeks earlier, maybe were mocking the Christian faith, are now serving that Jesus. There were people loving in a way that they never, ever, ever loved before. They were being steadfast in their hope because they saw that God was doing stuff right here, right now, in themselves. So I can promise you that he's going to fulfill the things that he said he will in the future. We've been using this term a lot. Uh, My wife and I, we throw it out to each other. Satisfaction. They were satisfied in Christ. Are you? Are you satisfied in Him? They saw Him as their greatest treasure. They viewed themselves correctly as being lovingly adopted into His family. They understood that the greatest thing for them was God glorified. These, these Thessalonians, they, they truly were God-centered. They were Christ-centered so much that He was there. They were driving for Him. They had this tunnel vision like the world was kind of fading around them. And the only thing they were seeing was Christ I am striving for him. He is in me. Let me show him to the world around me. Have you ever experienced that? Like, there's been times where I I do. But oftentimes I struggle with this on a daily basis. I, I petition. I pray, I ask the Lord, Lord, make me a better husband. Make me a better father. Make me a better pastor. Help me to be more like you. Grant me graces to have patience, to show forgiveness. Help me to do these things. And you know what's really amazing about all of this? He does it. I had a conversation a few nights ago with my wife and she said, you know, when I first married you, you were mean to everybody. Everybody everyone. And then a few years in, you were nice to me, but you were still mean to everybody. And now you're, you're kind of being nice to people. But you know what's even more amazing besides the fact that, that God is showing this grace to me is I don't ever thank Him for it. I mean, I, I only take the time to say thanks. Thank you. And I think about—I uh, mean, this morning we were singing songs of praise, and in my heart I want to be like, "Really? Are we really praising God?" I had the opportunity last summer to go to India, and any of you who were there with me know this. Like, we'd go to a church of twenty-something people, and—and and a block away we could hear them singing. I mean, I don't know how many people are here, but that, that's rejoicing. That's praising. Like, they don't care if they're off key. They don't care if the neighbor's here. Because their focus isn't us. Their focus is God. And, and, and I'm to blame. I mean, I'm sitting back there just kind of singing. Blessed be the name is it really blessed is he really our strength is he really those things because if so why are we so ashamed to share that but 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 here's the great thing there's these moments there's these times when when i'm reading the scripture or or praying you should try that if you don't do it seriously it's a good thing read the scripture and pray but 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 there's these there's these times and it just it comes out of nowhere god breaks me and i and i literally start weeping i hate to cry but it comes out of nowhere and and i'm there crying because in those moments i see how small and insignificant i am and i see how awesome how amazing he is so i i try to find out what what it is what, what it is, what's happening at those times that stirs me? That stirs my affections to Him? And, and I think a great thing that this church does is we talk constantly about how we need to preach the gospel to one another. Not just to the, those who are lost, but we need to preach the gospel to all people, saved, unsaved. And that's a great a great thing, not only because it helps us to see that our hope is in Christ, but it constantly reminds us of all the things we have to rejoice and praise God for. I'm not saying that as Christians we need to uh, re- rejoice in in a, in a way that's fake. Because that's, that's the furthest thing from, from, from what I want. Because you see, re- rejoicing is in something. Be glad in something. Delight in something. And what better thing to delight in than our Lord and Savior? We can feel beaten down by the world, but inside we can have joy, peace, satisfaction. Take away my stuff, because that's Nothing. If Christ Jesus is our hope, final observation, if Christ Jesus is our hope, rejoice in the Lord. Thank Him always. If He's our hope, rejoice in Him and thank Him always. That's what, that's what they're saying here at the beginning of this, this passage. He's saying, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God, We give thanks to God always. Why are they thanking them? Why are they, they saying, you're a church in God? Because all of these things, these amazing things that you, church, are doing, this, this faith, this love, this amazing hope, is only coming because it comes from God. So don't just say, thanks, I have this awesome stuff, and now I'm going to go live life and pretend it never came from you. Rejoice in those things. Paul isn't talking about positive thinking. He's not saying, hey, you know what? If you just have more faith in yourself, man, if you just believe you can do it. He's not saying that stuff. He's pointing out, look, I'm thanking you, God, Forgiving these people this amazing faith, this amazing love, this amazing steadfast hope. I am thanking you because it's an experience that they have because of their relationship with you. That you are willing to give them this grace to do these things. It's because their hope is in you. Forgive me if I offend you. Please, 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 don't mix or confuse psychology with the work of God. Just because you're able, under your own ability, to be a nice person, that's not going to make people around the world wonder what's happening. It's God working in this church. That, they, that, that, that It's God working in us. It, let's not just think about the Thessalonians and how they've been changed. God, if you're a believer, God is working in you. These same graces in a way to produce something amazing in you. That you should turn and say, thank you. Thank you. Your praises are in my mouth constantly, like the psalmist writes. As a follower of Christ, we have so much to rejoice in. We have so much to be thankful for that our singing should be deafening as we return praise to Him. That our prayers should be filled with gratitude and a humble spirit saying, not me, but you. That our lives should be lived in a way that are that it's it's just whole like every every piece of it is surrendered to him if jesus christ is our hope this rejoicing should become automatic i know people who do this and and i I hold them up in this great esteem. Like, man, I just wish I could be like that person. They are constantly taking everything off of them and putting it to Christ. No, it's not me. I couldn't do it without Him. One of the, the, the things that when I think about makes me praise Him and thank Him most is the fact that when God looks at me The saved man that I am, he doesn't see me. He sees the righteousness of Christ on me. Because you take that righteousness away, I stand before Him condemned of His divine wrath. Man, if that doesn't stir something in you to want to praise Him, Throw this out a lot. If that doesn't stir something in you to want to praise Him, you got to check yourself and actually see, like, are you really saved? Are you really at the point where Christ is your all in all? Let me say this before we close. The blood-bought blessing of the new covenant is the promise that God will never stop doing us good and that He will continue to work in us what is pleasing to Him. That's the promise we have. And because of Christ, we have hope. We have in Him our hope, steadfastness to make it all the way to the end. And if your hope isn't in Christ, I petition you. If your hope is not in Christ, I petition you to put it there now. Humble yourself before Him. Acknowledge and repent of your sins. Release that grip on these false hopes that seem so amazing and have left you hung out to dry because there was nothing there in the first place. Stand firm instead on Christ for our forgiveness. Stand firm on Christ for the power to endure. Seek Christ for the hope of everlasting life. Seek Christ for His inglorious, for His glories, His riches that He will freely share with those He calls His own. Lord God, I thank You for Your grace. You're gracious in so many ways, Lord. Help us to see You like the Thessalonians did. Lord, it it isn't massive amounts of knowledge, Lord. The missionaries only spent a short time there. But Lord, they saw You as amazing as this one true everlasting hope. And because of that hope, they were not only steadfast, but their faith, faith produced amazing works. Their, their, their labor for love so that people will see You through them. would help us as a church to hold You in Your rightful place Help us as a church to hope only in You. Not just when it's easy. And not just when it's hard too, Lord. You are not our last resort, Lord. You are our only hope. Lord, humble us. Help us to see when we chase after things that are so foolish. Lord, draw us back to you. Lord, help us to hope in you and only in you. Lord, I pray these things in your son's name. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this message recorded at the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah.